Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. Does the name Kurt Gibson mean anything to you? A couple. When I was growing up, Kurt Gibson was, he was one of my boyhood heroes. He was a baseball player, and his career started for the Detroit Tigers. You know who the best team, the best baseball team in Detroit is? It's whoever's playing against the Tigers. (laughs) But in those days, when Kurt Gibson was there, things were different. His manager, Sparky Anderson, put it this way. He said, there is no limit to what Kurt can do. God was very good to this man. There's nobody that big, that strong, and that fast. And on June 14, he proved them right. Gibson, he hit the baseball out of the ballpark. Not just over the fence, over the roof. The roof. That was good. That was very good, but that would not be his best. How about God? You know, I mean, God, he has done some amazing, tremendous things. What do you think is God's best? As you think through history, as you think through the Bible, when do you think God was at his very best? Knowing Jesus, we're teaching through the Gospel of Luke. Today we get to the second passage that's found in chapter 7. It's not long. Short passage, six verses. It begins with this, verse 12. As he, that's Jesus, approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So it opens with this imagery of this huge tragedy. And when we encounter it, well, the funeral is over. The burial is next. Ahead of her are eight men carrying the coffin that contains the body of her child, her son, her her only son. It's surreal. She's numb. It's deja vu because we're told she's a widow. So she had experienced something like this not that long ago with her husband. And now it's her son. Enter Jesus. And this kind of a cool place for Jesus to step into the scene. Jesus shows up at a funeral. We get to see Jesus entering into a funeral. I see this set up and I'm thinking, wow, what's Jesus going to do? Jesus, he's in the middle of a funeral. What's Jesus going to say? He's got quite a few options. I mean, I could imagine Jesus saying something like this, going up to that mom and saying, hey, you know, it's okay. Your son, he's in a much better place because of all people, Jesus is the one who would know that. But that's not what he said. 
And then he could have said something along the lines of, well, it's okay. You know, his suffering is over. And that would be comforting to, to this mom. But Jesus, he didn't say that. Well, don't you think at minimum, at the very least, Jesus in that moment could have at least said, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry for your loss. But he didn't say that. Luke chapter 7, Jesus enters into a funeral, not one single word of comfort. No expression of grief. Just two words. Verse 13. Don't cry. Don't cry. Don't cry. Jesus, really? This woman, she didn't lose a job. She didn't lose her fortune. She lost her child. She lost her only son. You know, I think Jesus, give her some space. Let this mom grieve, but not Jesus. Jesus, he says, don't cry. Don't cry. Jesus said, don't cry at a funeral. What kind of God can do that? Well, that's a request Only this kind of God can make. Check it out. Verse 14. Then he went up and he touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. The dead man sat up and began to talk. At the risk of being redundant, let me read that again. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Is it just me or is there something highly unusual about that? Right? In our experience, dead people don't get up. They don't talk. They don't leave their coffins. The dead man sat up and began to talk. Who can do that? What kind of God can pull that off? I'll tell you what kind of God can pull that off. The kind of God I want at my funeral. (laughs) Yeah. Look at this passage. Luke chapter 7. This is an amazing one. Not very long, but we look at this, and this is kind of a jaw-dropper. Jesus and the widow of Nain. This is a spectacular miracle. This is one of the awesome passages in the Bible. This is good. This is very good. But in my opinion, it's not God's best. When do you think God was at his very best? Joshua chapter 10 verse 5 says this, Then the king, the five kings of the Amorites, they joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. Well, the Gibeonites, these were Israelites, they were in deep. Five of the most powerful kings in the land, they joined forces against them. They're saying, we need help, we need rescue. Enter the Old Testament hero, Joshua. Verse 7. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men, 
And then in verse 9, after an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. Now, maybe you know this story from the Old Testament, but think about it for just a little bit. This is Joshua, he's hero in the Old Testament. How smart was what he did? We're specifically told that Joshua, he marched his army all night long. Sore muscles, weary bodies, zero sleep. Why? To do battle with five armies who had rested all night long. When it comes to military strategy, this, not the best. You know, somebody in that command tent, I'm thinking maybe had a little leak in the old think tank. Not the greatest strategy. But somehow, we're told, Israel managed to gain the upper hand. Night was falling. And night, that meant reorganizing. That meant regrouping for their enemy. Time was of the essence. And so Joshua, he had the audacity to ask God for this. Verse 12, O son, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. Stop the sun? Stop the earth from rotating? We hear that and think, well, that's not possible. That's not possible. You can't do that. Here's what we find in the Bible. God can. Verse 13. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. That... That's a spectacular miracle. That doesn't just happen. That's miraculous. We see a passage like this. That is an awesome passage. God, he's good. This is God doing something striking, something amazing. He's good. It's very good. Is it God's best? I don't think it is. Well, How about this one? Maybe you know this story, Moses, right? Moses, he gets an audience with the Pharaoh and famously confronts him. He says, Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And it took a little convincing, but after 10 plagues, the Pharaoh agrees and he releases the the people of Israel from 400 years of slavery. And after a few hours into this venture, Pharaoh, well, he pulls a flip-flop. Chapter 14, verse 5 in Exodus, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, well, what have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. See, they started thinking, well, these Israelites, they're pretty handy. It's useful to have them around. You know, with, with their being gone, what are we going to do? Who's going to clean our houses? Right? Who, who's going to do our laundry? Who's going to build our pyramids? And so Pharaoh, he ordered the most powerful army on the planet to chase down these unarmed slaves. Go get them, boys. Well, look how Moses responded to that. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. 
The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Is that, is that how you think of God? The Lord will fight for you. He's not against you. He's for you. Now, it may not always feel like that. Because God, he made this world. He knows how it works. He knows some of the deeper realities. He knows what causes joy. And he knows what causes pain. He knows what causes fulfillment, and he also knows the things that will lead to emptiness. He knows that the things that I want for me are not always the things that are best for me. He wants to inform. He wants to protect. He wants to bless. He wants to guide. He wants to guard. He wants to give us life, even if we can't see it at the time. And that, that's true for whatever situation you find yourself in today. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The deliverance of the Lord It didn't happen right away. They actually had to wait. Anybody there? Is there anything going on or happening in your life that isn't happening when you want it to happen? You know, maybe you're waiting for clarity about a decision. Or maybe you're waiting for a a romantic relationship. Maybe you're waiting for a pain to to go away. Maybe you're waiting for a job situation to change. Maybe you're waiting for a deep anxiety to disappear. Maybe you're just, just waiting for your body to heal. Maybe you're waiting for your marriage or your relationship to revitalize. Here's something about God. Our God, He is very patient. Even if... We aren't. He he is. God, he does some of his best work during periods of waiting. You go through the history of the Bible and you see almost everyone that he used in big and profound ways. They had large seasons of having to wait. We can look back in our own lives and see what happens during seasons of waiting. God, he can use those seasons to shape us, to develop us, to deepen us. James put it this way. James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Anybody want that? Anybody want to be mature spiritually? I... Do Well, that doesn't happen when we get impatient. And James is saying that doesn't happen when we get everything we want when we want it. And that spiritual maturity doesn't happen we get, when we get all the answers to all our questions. Is there anything that you are waiting for today? Well, if so, that's probably a good thing. 
Because waiting is something that God uses to get our attention, to shape our our spirits, and to teach us to depend on Him. See, if you're waiting, keep waiting. Listen. Learn. Open yourself up to Him. Let Him know, Lord, use this season to shape me. Use this season to, to develop me. And then and then trust. After 400 years of slavery, they had to wait 24 more hours. And then, when the time was right, God did this. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on the dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Red Sea parts. Spectacular miracle. One of the most famous passages in the Bible. We say that is an amazing passage. That's good. That's very good. But I still don't think that's God's best. Game five of the 84 World Series, Kirk Gibson steps to the plate. His opponent, well, it was this man, Goose Gossage. Anybody remember the goose? I mean, he was the most feared relief pitcher of his day, even with a nickname like Goose. (laughs) Well, it was near the end of the game, and Kirk Gibson was up, so... The goose's manager came out to the mound and said to him, don't pitch to him. Walk Kirk Gibson. Let him have first base. And he went back to the dugout. Well, goose, this guy, I mean, he was, he was pretty confident. He had a pretty good sized ego. And he's like, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to walk him. I'm going to challenge him. Didn't do what his manager asked him to do. Two pitches later, Kirk Gibson went deep. Home run. The Tigers won the World Series with an exclamation mark. That was good. That was very good. But it wasn't his best. Do you remember Friday? On Friday, the unhappy multitudes, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And they did. Matthew puts it this way, chapter 27, verse 28. They stripped him, we're talking about Jesus, and put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. They executed Jesus on the cross, pounding nails through his hands, driving a stake through his feet, agonizing hours later. He cried out his last, it, it is finished. Jesus, voluntarily, he sacrificed his life. Why? The Bible specifically tells us why. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 and 24, this is the message translation, says this, 
All humans fall justly under God's condemnation because of their sins. Read the rest of this with me. It says, But all humans are acceptable to God if they receive Jesus' atoning death for their sin. That's the gospel. That's good news. We say this is good. This is very good. If you're familiar with this story, you also recognize that's not all. There's even more. Luke chapter 24, verse 1, on the first day of the week. Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone, rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. That's Easter. On Easter, out of the cold, damp darkness of a Palestinian grave, a man emerged. On Easter, life came out of death. On Easter, victory overcame defeat. On Easter, sorrow turned into joy. On Easter, we discover death isn't the end, but through the resurrection of Jesus, it is only the beginning. For you, for me, for those that we love, for those that we miss, even right now. In Jesus, there is power, there is hope, there is love, there is forgiveness, there is victory, there is joy. Resurrection. That's good. That's that's very good. Is that, is that God's best? 1988, Kirk Gibson was playing in the World Series for Los Angeles Dodgers. And he was injured. Kirk was actually not on the field. He was in the locker room. He was watching the game on TV as his knee was being iced. Bottom of the ninth inning, two outs, trailing by one run. The crowd erupts as Kirk Gibson walks out of the locker room, out of the dugout, onto the field. He's going to play. He hobbled up to the plate. The announcer said these words, said, even if he manages, somehow manages to hit the ball, he'll never be able to make it to first base. Here's what happened. It was a walk-off, game-winning home run. It was one of the most dramatic moments in the history of professional sports. I didn't know what to do with myself I think I cried. (laughs) That was good. That was Kirk Gibson's best. That was his very best. How about God? Was it this passage in Luke chapter 7? This is an amazing one. This is a phenomenal passage. Jesus shows up at a funeral, goes up to the coffin, says, rise and walk, and this boy climbs out of the coffin. That's really good. Is that it? Or is it the the moment when God, when he made the sun stand still? Or how about the Red Sea? How about the cross? How about the resurrection? I look at those and say, man, those are good. Those are very good. But in my book, still not God's best. 
my opinion. Want to know what God, you know, when he, when he was at his very best? It's not far from here. You turn left on 36th and then take a State Street to Ora Labor to 26th to 66th to Beaver to Lower Beaver to Oakland to Brinkwood and there it is, 38th. Because that, that's where God was at his very best for me. That's where this great big God who can stop the sun. That's where this great big God who can split the seas. That's where this great big God who can cause this boy to rise from the dead. That's where this great big God who went to the cross and was resurrected from the dead. That's where this great big God revealed himself to me. It wasn't one dramatic moment. But man, when, when I was growing up, here's what I was wrestling with. I wrestled with inadequacies. You know, I, I didn't have all the gifts and the skills and the abilities that I really wanted to have. And I wondered, man, had insecurities. Am I good enough? Am I valuable? Am I worthy? And I wrestled with inadequacy. And the cross, when this cross of Jesus became more than something that was just in my head, When I saw that and realized that's God and he's saying, you know, I'm the one who made you. I made you the way that I made you for a reason and a purpose. And I and I love you. I've done this for you. When I recognize God love his love, it's not just general, you know, like, oh, God loves the world. God loves all people. When I realized it was specific, it was individual. It was personal. God, he has that kind of love. He has that kind of value for me, that, that was life-changing. That, that was life-changing for me. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus made it possible, yet not personal. The cross and the resurrection are absolutely essential, but they mean very little on a personal level until we can say, until we can accept, until we can feel, He did that. He did that for me. And I'm wondering, can you say that? I imagine that God has provided for you in many ways. You know, maybe you have a healthy mind and a healthy body. Maybe you have a a good family. Maybe you have good friends. Maybe you have a good job. But I'll tell you this, none of that can compare to being able to say, the one who made me, the one who designed me, He loves me. He finds value. He finds worth in me. I've been forgiven. I've been, I'm I'm saved. Here's what that means. We use that word in church from time to time. Say, here's what it means. When we accept what Jesus did on the cross, not just as a historical fact, but when we accept that for us, when we say, I've made mistakes I have sinned against God. I've gone places and done things and thought things that that go against who He is and I can't change that and I can't undo that. I can't redo that. I can't reincarnate again and again and again until I get that right. I need Him. 
I need what he did for me. When we accept what Jesus did on the cross for us, and when we say he did that for me, man, I'm going to put my trust, I'm going to put my faith, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to follow his ways. Well, we say that's what it means to be saved. We say then Jesus, he is able to forgive every one of our sins. And he, he is able then to, to make us whole, to get sin, to get guilt, to get shame, to get that out of our lives. We don't have to do life with that. We can have meaning and fill, fulfillment and purpose and the promise that someday we will have eternal life with him in heaven. You may, you may know his name. You may read his book. You may attend his worship service. But do you know him as your personal Savior? You can. Just ask. Go ahead. Let's do that right now. Pray with me. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to, to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday. And we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends. And also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.